God's got something for you today. The Bible says that those with eyes to see and ears to hear, if you will, if you will look, if you will listen, that God is speaking. He said, my sheep know my voice. The Lord is speaking here today. He's already speaking to some of you. You don't even, you don't know what it is, but you know something inside you is speaking. Something in you is moving. Something's already changing. The Lord's leading you. He's changing you today. Today is a, is a brand new day for God, just as much as it is for you. He's outside of time, but he's well aware of your time frame. And when that sun goes down and that moon comes up and that sun comes back up again, it's a brand new day for you. It's a brand new day. This is a time for the Lord. He just washes away yesterday. Yesterday is gone, and this is a brand new day. This is your opportunity in Him to know Him more, to get closer to Him. And ultimately, once we get to know Jesus... Something begins to happen in you. Something begins to grow in you. It's natural. John chapter 15 says that once the seed is planted inside you, once the word gets in you, once the Holy Spirit starts to bring life into you through knowing Jesus Christ, through communion, that you are in him and he is in you, then the Bible says that that a fruit will naturally come. Life will naturally flow out of you. You don't have to try to produce life. You don't have to try to produce fruit. You don't have to try to love people. Some people you have to try a little bit harder than others. But it starts coming more naturally in you. Something starts changing inside you by the Spirit of God. So believe the Lord just, I don't know what He's doing in you. We're all at different stages, but something today is changing. And I believe it's probably because of the Word that He's given me for you today. The Lord just wanted me to come and share with each of you that the ultimate goal and plan for your life is this, number one, I have to say this, is to know Jesus just to know him. That's it. That is the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal of your life. The reason you were made. We don't understand the fullness of God and we won't. We're, we are, he is unveiling many things to us as we walk with him. The more you get to know him, the more the word starts to come to life. It's no longer just a book that you just, you know, you leave in the corner for decoration and as a paperweight and as something on your shelf, the Bible begins to become life more and more and more as you know him. But we will never fully understand God ever in, in the, on this side until we cross over. But God in his greatness and in his, in his amazingness and in, in, in ruler of the whole entire universe and of the billions upon billions of stars, and then he created this earth and he, God, in the bigness of who he is, was looking for companionship. Ultimately, that's what the Bible says. It says in Genesis that he made man, he had made all of creation and he made the animals and he made the sea and we did not come from those things. He made us specifically, specifically from the clay of the earth just to have communion with him. Once we were made, then God rested. It was finished. It was done. And the devil came in the garden of Eden and he stole away that, our ultimate purpose, which was relationship with God. There was, Adam was so smart that he was able to name all the animals. I can't even remember the names of everybody in this church. And yet Adam was so incredibly wise and smart, but he didn't need to do anything with that. It was just the nature of who God made him to be. It was God's nature in man, but he didn't need to do anything with that except just enjoy God's presence and just have a, a knowing of who God is and what, this, what the universe is and how the world works and the animals. And he just had this relationship with God. God made him in his image and the devil stole away that specifically. 
That's what the devil came to steal. He didn't really come to hurt Adam and Eve and to hurt you. He came to hurt God. The devil came in that garden that day to steal away God's relationship with man. And he did it through what we now, you know, what we know through the Bible. It's not a word that we say in the English language. It's through the word of God is something called sin. And all that sin is, is something, anything in your life that separates you from God. That's it. All that sin is, is a blockade. It's as simple as I'm going to do what I want to do. That's the simplest definition of sin. This is what I feel like doing. This is what I think is right. And as soon as we do that, we have turned away from God. We're not interested in God or what he says or his plan or his purpose. We're now looking at ourselves and what we think and what we feel. And as soon as we do that, we put a blockade up. It's not hard to do. A child, as soon as they're born, even though there's such an innocence, you don't have to teach them to sneak when you're not looking. You don't have to teach them to be selfish, to be jealous. It's just part of the, as Adam and Eve came out of the perfection of God in the garden, and they came into the world today, into a, a cursed world. They came into a place where those things now flow naturally. And, that, and when we give into those things, we do what the Bible says we have entered sin. But Jesus Christ, on the cross, through his blood, he, it says that he robbed, he took back the keys, he took back the curse of sin and death. I was praying this morning for this whole valley, for this region, against the curse of sin and death. It was a curse that was put on humanity when sin, when Adam and Eve said that tree, yes, it was a tree. I'm a literal guy. I believe it was an actual tree in the garden. I don't believe it was a metaphor. I believe they actually took something from an actual tree. You can uh, look at it as a metaphor if you want, but I believe they, God had separated. He, he gave us free will because he wanted us to choose to love him. And when they chose to do their own will versus having the freedom and the amazingness of just understanding the universe and, and having incredible wisdom inside you, that's not enough that Adam and Eve had to do their own thing. And so that's our human nature. That's the curse. That's our, our desires. And it separated us from God. But Jesus Christ, he took back. He took back what separated us. He took back what the enemy did and, and, and that wall that he put in called sin between us. And when we say, Lord... We know that we're envious and jealous and that we strive for our own things. We know that we want to do what we want to do and when we want to do it and how we want to do it. But Lord, forgive me. As soon as you say those words, something happens supernaturally and you are restored back to the garden again. The reason you were born becomes restored and all of a sudden, your eyes start opening. Your ears start opening. All of a sudden, you start looking at the world a little bit differently. You start looking at God instead of looking at yourself. And then what happens is, is something begins to stir in you. As you begin to know Jesus, you begin to walk with him. The next thing that begins to happen is because we live in a cursed world, not because of God, but because of sin, okay, I want to be clear, God didn't curse you. It's our own sin that brought a curse. And because we still live in that world, once we're freed, then a second purpose begins to happen. Once that relationship, that first purpose is restored, that now we're walking with God again, as Adam and Eve did, outside of time, you, the Bible says that you are, at this very moment, when you say yes to Jesus, you are no longer alive here on earth. You're in a body, but we can take your body and we can put it in a box, we can cremate it, put it in concrete, you can do whatever you want with your body, because when you die, it is no longer your body, it's not, that's not you. It's your spirit is 
at this very moment, even though it's still in a body, when you say yes to Christ, the Bible says that you have been seated with Jesus at the right hand of the Father. Right now, at this very moment, if you've said yes to Jesus. In fact, I was thinking about this. Jesus did not need to die to become a king. I don't know if there's some misconceptions in Christianity. He's not a son. He wasn't a prince who then died to become a king. Jesus was always Jesus. He was always God. He died so that you could sit with him above this world and above the plans of the enemy. See, Jesus saw us trapped under that barrier of sin, saw us trapped in the curse. And when he rescued you by going to the cross and shedding his blood, giving his life as a ransom, as a, as a, in place of our lives, the curse was broken. And immediately at that point, he didn't become king. He took you from the trappings of the curse of this world and because of your sin, of our will, and he took you with him and put you above the enemy. Jesus was not below Satan. He was not below the fallen angels when he was here on this earth. He came in a human form, but he wasn't, at, he wasn't submitted to them. He proved that, didn't he, in his word. In fact, the Jews accused him. They said, he's a demon. He's only casting out demons because he's got a demon inside him. And Jesus tells them how ridiculous that thinking is. Jesus had no problem casting out a devil because those things, even in human form, were below him. What he showed us was that he was already living. He was still living with, in a, with a heavenly mindset. Jesus bypassed the natural. He didn't look at the water below his feet as he walked on the sea as anything to stop him from getting to where he wanted to go. He didn't look at the storms that came as anything that was going to stop him. He just said, stop. He just told the storm to stop because he was always above it. Jesus never put himself below the power that he was. He just chose to submit as a, as a human being to walk through this earth without sin. That was the submission. He submitted to the will of the Lord on this earth, but his power was always in him. And what he was showing you in his life here, why he showed 12 disciples a way to live. That's truly what he was doing. He's telling them to follow him because I'm going to show you the way. And as he went into heaven, as the same son of God that he always was, as the same king that he always was, he now gave you the right to walk above the natural as he did on this earth. That's who we are in Christ. And so something begins to happen in you. Something supernatural begins to happen when we begin to walk with him. The power of Jesus Christ begins to start growing in us and the, the call and the purpose in you to know him starts to grow into fruit naturally. And that fruit in your life from the natural walking out of knowing Jesus Christ is that you want as many people to know him like you do and to go into eternity with you. This is a natural, if you have to force yourself to want other people to know Jesus, if you have to force yourself to want the love of Christ in you on other people, then you need to go back to the ultimate purpose again and get to know him some more. Because when you get to know Jesus, something happens in you. You don't have to try. The natural thing in you will be to want others to know him. And so I just wanted to share that for a few minutes here today, this point. 
We've been talking this month of August, I've been talking about the small and the weak and the little, the nobodies, that the entire Bible is filled with the Gideons, the Davids, the Moses, the John the Baptist, even Jesus. We looked into how the Bible says that even he had an appearance that you wouldn't recognize him in the natural. Even Jesus, it says it was nothing majestic about him. There was nothing beautiful about him. He was just a regular looking guy. And the Bible is filled with these men and women who did amazing things for God that God found on the backside of deserts, in hiding, in the wilderness, in nowhere, nobodies, but because God is God and he wanted to show himself strong, the Bible says that he picked the weak and the foolish things of this world, the way we look, not foolish to God, foolish by the way we look, and he took those people and he put himself self inside of them, did a work inside of them first. Each of them had something happen inside of them first, didn't they? They each had a journey, and we don't wish their journey on anybody. You don't wish your journey. When you come through it, you are so excited, and you're thankful, and you would never trade it, but you don't ever wish your own journey that you've gone through with God on anybody but you got to go through it. That's the reality. It is what it is. I can't, I wish I could just have you skip your journey. I wish I could just get you to be the person that God's got, got planned for, but he's got some things. He's stripping th- some things away. He's growing some things. He's strengthening you, and that's just how it is. I wish I could tell you that you don't need to go to boot camp before you have to go to war, but then you would get into a battle, and you'd have no idea how to operate your firearm. You'd have no idea what's going on when you start hearing them yelling certain commands, do this now because your life depends on it, and you wouldn't know what they're saying And so boot camp is just necessary. It's part of it. But when God took these men through those things and then they come out on the other side, they didn't even understand what was happening. But now all of a sudden there was some strengths and some abilities inside of them to do something for God. And the reality is, is that not one of them did God do something inside of them for themselves. Not one character in the entire Bible is the story about them. We read about them, that one person, because it's so exciting to see what God did in in a person. But if you look at their stories, every single character in the Bible, including Jesus Christ himself, was not on this earth for themselves. Their ultimate purpose was still knowing God. Each of them had the ultimate purpose in line, a relationship with God. And once that came into line, once the ultimate purpose was lined up, and you can see that in each of their lives... And when it wasn't lined up, you saw heartache and shipwreck. Solomon, who was the son of David, started getting that thing skewed, didn't he? And then he shipwrecked some things in his life. So what God has done through the small and the weak and the little, it took him through a process. He created them into something and somebody's. He made them into somebody's. And last week we looked at the 12 disciples And they came to a time where they were going to feed the 5,000. There was 5,000 men alone and women and children. Who knows how many? I don't know. People have guesstimated 20,000, 25,000 people. It doesn't really matter. At least 5,000 people were on this were on this hillside and, and they were hungry. And Jesus tells the disciples, if you remember from last week, he told the disciples, I want you to feed them. I want you, told the 12 disciples to feed them. They said, Lord, we don't have anything to eat. We couldn't even make enough money to pay them if we wanted to. But they said, we, we found a few little fish and a few loaves of bread. That's what we've got. Jesus says, fine, bring that to me. He breaks the bread and he gave a little piece of bread, a little piece of fish, one person at a time. And the Bible says that each and every person there ate their fill until they were filled. And then they, as they, not only did they eat, but each of the disciples picked up a basket for themselves at the end, 12 baskets of leftover. And so I brought you through this month. I've brought you through, been trying to get something that the Lord's been really trying to get us to as his people, which is to realize this, that you are nobody and that's right where he wants you. You are nothing and that's right where he wants you. You don't have anything and that's exactly what he wants you to have. 
Because what Jesus wants to do is he wants to take your little, your lack, and trust him. Now remember, this starts sounding like the ultimate purpose in our life, doesn't it? The secondary purpose of giving to this world what you have will come because your ultimate purpose of just knowing God is in line. And when you do that, you take the little bit even though it's a little bit, even though it seems impossible, the tiny bit in you that you have, and when you line that up with his ultimate purpose to know him, then what he will do is he will take that lack if, as you give it anyway. And as you do it, as you keep doing it, he will take the little tiny bit in you and he will begin, as the Bible said, he multiplied it. He broke it and it just kept giving and kept giving and kept giving and kept giving. And we found that not only did the disciples, uh, were they able to give as much as was needed, but God blessed them in doing what he called them to do. And so we are insufficient on our own. That's the reality. Jesus gave them power to do what they couldn't do on their own. And so I want to propose a question for you in, this, in these minutes we have left. What has Jesus put in your hands? What has he put in you? What even, you know, we look like they did. The disciples are like, Jesus, I said last week, I don't, you know, we don't see them, but I guarantee they were, there were people just like us that they were murmuring to each other. This isn't going to work unless he's going to give them, you know, we're going to break this thing with a scalpel. These bread and fish are not going to feed these people. And so the reality is, is that it's not going to look like anything in your natural eyes. You have to look inside you. You have to look and see that it's not you, it's Jesus. You have to say, okay, Jesus put this in my hands. They gave it to him. You have to give it to him. And then when he gave it back to them, they took what was in them, small, they gave it to Jesus and Jesus multiplied it back through them. There are multitudes, just as there was a multitude that day that was waiting for the disciples. They needed to be fed. They were looking to be fed. And there was a multitude waiting for those disciples. There's a multitude waiting for each and every one of us. Each of us. God is more than enough in you. And somebody is waiting for you to be who God calls you to be. I want to look in the book of Matthew, chapter 25, verse 14. Just one moment on that, Mariah, as you're, as you're turning there. Um, I just wanted to say this. I was meditating on this thought that we need, that everybody needs somebody to be there. As, as the Bible says, it says that, how will they know if no one tells them? The only reason that we are here today, as you hear me say often, is because somebody told us. Somebody shared the gospel with us. The world is waiting. Listen, it's amazing if it has, and if it has, I want you to raise your hand. Are you here because Jesus showed up in your room and said, I'm Jesus, I'm the Son of God, um, the Bible's mine out of all the books and all the gods. I'm the right one and believe in me and go and become a Christian because of me. Has that happened for anybody? The reality is, is that that does happen. I've heard in extreme cases in very serious Muslim regions where people do have a sincere desire to know some, they're searching for a creator and Jesus has shown up to people and revealed that they're off, that their heart is looking, they're searching, they're seeking, but their heart is off, that he's the true God. I've heard that. But the reality is, is 99.9% of the people of the world who are Christians today, 99.99% are here in churches around the world because somebody 
told them about Jesus. And not just told them, but showed Jesus. It's not enough to hear. It's also enough that you saw enough. You saw Jesus enough in enough people that you said, I think this thing is for real. And then once your eyes were open, then you were like, what? I don't know why I didn't believe before. And I want as many people as I can to see the same way I do. But before that happened, it's like this blinder came, was on you, and the only reason you listened is because somebody said it. And this entire world is waiting for somebody like you to share the gospel with them. The world is waiting. It's not going to happen. This is the reality. People will not get saved. People's lives will not be changed. Miracles will not happen unless we do it. And that's um, a heavy thing, but I'm going to free you from any weight of it because it's Jesus, isn't it? And the reality is, is this. I was meditating on this thought, and I started saying it out loud in, uh, with, in front of my family, and I'm just saying it to Dawn, and Elijah was there. And I was like, you know, um, the Egyptian, the Israelites in Egypt, they needed Moses. If Moses didn't do it, they would have been in captivity. I was thinking about David, and I said, David, you know, they needed a David. The people needed this guy to stand up and to tell Goliath no, and then ultimately, many seasons in his life, he, he actually saved lots of different groups of people. He saved the outcasts. David's mighty men were just a group of outcasts that nobody wanted. They were running from the law or whatever, all kinds of stuff, but David was there for them. And then ultimately, he became a king that a nation needed, that God raised up. And I'm saying these things out loud to Dawn. Then Elijah, by the Spirit of God, just says, even Jesus needed Mary. Even Jesus needed Mary. And I thought, wow, what an incredible truth just came out of his mouth. Even Jesus needed Mary. God has a way that he does things. As I started at the beginning of the sermon, I was prefacing all this, that we don't understand him. We don't understand everything about him. We're learning. We're beginning to understand, and we will fully. But this is the way he works. He works through people to save people. The way that Jesus, it's just the way of the Bible. You either fall in line with this, uh, I, this idea that's this, this theme through the word, or you can wait around for God to do something that he's already done and is asking us to do. And this is the reality that even Jesus Christ, because of God, who, the way he works, that he works through people. He would raise up prophets, a man, and he would say through the man, this is what God's going to do. And then they would kill the man because they're like, he's just a man. He doesn't know what he's saying. But God judged the people as if he himself was speaking, even though it came through a person. It's just the way that God works. Even John the Baptist, as we read, was Jesus said, was the greatest prophet who ever lived. And yet of John the Baptist, uh, ultimately, because he has an issue with one of the rulers, with his, with his brother's wife, and he gets his head cut off for it. And so we see that, um, that humanity might reject you, uh, it, but God is still going to look at you and judge you uh, as if he was saying it from his own mouth. And even the Bible, people argue, well, it was written over, you know, uh, it was written by men, it was compiled by men, it was translated into English, and people come up with all these arguments about the Bible. The reality is, is you have to come to the same place that the guys did in the Old Testament before this Bible even existed when it was just books and scrolls. And when someone came and said, this is what God's saying. And they had proven themselves because they had said some things that were true over time. You had to decide then and there to listen or not. And so this is the reality that God um, works through human things. He works through a physical book that humans put together. And even Jesus, because that's God's way, to be fair, to bring Jesus in a way that was fair for the Old Testament people that had to listen to a man, he brought Jesus through a natural human woman. And the reality is that's just how God works. 
He works through humanity. He works through us. He brought Jesus, the Son of God, through a human being. And, and when we come to terms with that, then we have to ask the question, who is waiting for us? What has God placed in the womb of your spirit? What has he placed in you that you need to give birth to? What's inside you that only you can bring? And it's up to you to bring that thing out of you for this world. Because Mary, uh, Annie says often that Annie loves, uh, she's impressed with people that say yes to the call of God. I've heard her say it many times that, that people don't have to say yes, but she loves when they do. That Mary, they came to her, you know, the angel came to her and said, this is what God's going to do. And she could have said, no, I can't do it. I'm not capable. Who am I? There's no talk of Mary before that. There's no lineage of Mary that we're reading about so that we understand, okay, well, this is Mary. That makes sense. She was just some young girl, some nobody that God put something inside for her to bring forth and for God to get the glory. This is who God is. This is how he works. So Matthew 25, I just want to read something to you, challenge us all today. Matthew 25, verse 14 says, Again, the kingdom of God can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. And he called together his servants and entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one man. He gave two bags of silver to another man and one bag of silver to the last man, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. He then left on his trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his, how they had used their money, his money. The servant to whom he had entrusted the five bags of silver came forward with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest and I have earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest, and I have earned two more. And the master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Then the servant with the one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man, harvesting crops you didn't plant and gathering crops you didn't cultivate. I was afraid I would lose your money so I hid it in the earth. Look, here is your money back. But the master replied, You wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops I didn't plant and gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have gotten some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from this servant and give it to the one with the 10 bags of silver. And to those who, who use well what they are given, even more will be given and they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. And then in verse 30, 
you don't want to hear this from the Lord, and we won't hear. Now throw this useless servant into outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I think that Jesus is very clear to us what he expects of us. The first thing I want to say, I just have about 10 minutes with you guys. just want to make a few points from this passage. First thing I want to say is, God never tells them how well they did with how much they had. Not once do you see him commending them because of their abilities. All that you see is that they took what they had. He gives the same, I read it. I could have skimmed, but I read the whole thing. And sometimes in the word, it feels like it's repetitive. A lot of times you read in the word and it's like, okay, I already read this. It's specifically, it's important here because Jesus gave the exact same response to the one who had half. He did much less than the other guy did, but proportionally the same. He took with what his ability was and multiplied it. He made his life count here. He didn't look at the guy with more and say, that guy's so gifted, he's got this and he can do that and blah, 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 blah. And I, you know, I'm afraid to do, wait, that sounds familiar. I'm afraid to do anything because that's what the guy with one says. I'm afraid to do anything because the guy, this guy did this and he went all over the world and he's saved this many people and he's got millions of people in his crowds and he's healed them and he's done this. And Jesus would have said the same exact response if he only came back with one extra piece of silver. If he took his silver and just came back with one more, the Lord would have said to him, well done. He's not looking at you saying you're a loser because of your lack of abilities. He's not looking at your abilities because it's his money. You are his. What you have is what he's given you, which means he's well aware of your abilities and your inadequacies, and he's not looking at those things. He does not, like we do, compare to one another. We look at each other and we compete and we look at how far we're coming and we are only gauge in life. Isn't this weird of success is how much more we have than others? Isn't it such a weird gauge of success that we look, we, we can call certain car brands cheap and high quality? But they both will take you from A to B. But because one costs more and is more featured, we separate things. That's just what we do. I can't say that I'm absent from the world we live in, okay? I look just like we all do, but God doesn't. He's not looking at you and your lack saying, when are you going to be like so-and-so? He doesn't need you to be like anybody else. He just wants you to be you and to use what he's given you. And the Bible says that if you don't do anything with what he's given you, I'm not going to read it again. I read it once. That was hard enough for me to do from up here. Jesus tells you the response. He wants you to know him, but when you truly know him, you will start producing him. You're just going to start giving him. You're going to start doing for him. And that's the only reason he could send this guy, because what he did is he took what God gave him, which is it's interconnected to your relationship with him. They are one. Your gifts and abilities, you can use them for yourself, but when you use them for God, then your relationship with God, there's only one way. You either hide it, you do nothing, you just take your skills and abilities and you build your own businesses and your own personalities and all these things that we can do in the natural, or you take it and you start using it for God. The only way that you're gonna do that is by knowing him. And that's why God could say, I'm gonna send this guy to hell because the guy didn't know him. 
the, the actual not doing with what was in him is a pick is the is the lack of fruit means that there was a lack of connection to him in God. And so the reality, there's another one. I said reality how many times today? Sorry, that's my word for today. The Bible says when Jesus was talking, you remember the story of the widow? The, these rich guys were coming and they're throwing in their money and they're giving and giving and doing it in front of everybody, making this big show. And this little widow comes in and she drops in two tiny coins worth less than a penny. And Jesus said that that woman has given everything she has versus them giving just a little piece. They just, you know, they just you know, gave a little bit, hey, you know, here's a little part of me. Okay, God, I want to live my life. But she gave everything. She had committed her life to the Lord. And we already read, I don't need to go back in and review the disciples again, but when you give everything, even your last little bit that doesn't seem like anything anyway, did God forsake the disciples? The answer for you is no. He gave them a basket full of something that wasn't even theirs to begin with. He will bless you. So when Jesus says that she gave everything that she had, do you think that Jesus was going to say, okay, now live, uh, now that you just gave everything you had, uh, I'll see you after about 40 years of suffering. I think the Lord was going to take care of her pretty well when he saw a heart that was looking to just, just wanted God more than anything else. And then we can see just a few things that will help us hear. I want to hear who in here wants to hear from God. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's what I want to hear him say. And there's just very quickly a few points. One is that you are enough right here, right now. God is able to work through you in your circumstances you're in in the abilities you have right now with all your mess that God's not looking at anyway that you carry with you you are able right here right now to do it's the devil who wants to trap you and make you think I've got nothing to give he wants to try to get you just to hide it and do nothing and meanwhile God's saying you don't need to have much I'll take the tiny minuscule, little, impossible part that you do have, and I will multiply it if you'll do. The point is to just know that we are enough. That's point one. And point number two is that what you have is not yours, but has been given to you. It's not yours anyway. I've used the analogy and I'm stealing it. I heard it from a pastor years ago. His daughter was sitting at a table in McDonald's and he went to go take one fry from the fries that he bought for her. And in her small-mindedness that this is my fries right now, she smacked his hand and said, those are mine. We laugh. But meanwhile, God has put gifts and abilities inside all of us. And we are little tiny children in comparison to God of the universe. And we go, mine. That's mine. You can just picture her. I had my, I had boys, but I can picture them doing, actually they still do it today. They kind of, you know, we do, all do this, ready? <laughs> Pretend like we're not really being selfish. My own wife does that to me at dinner. Not as bad anymore, but when we first got married, like, if you wanted that, you should have ordered it. Even though I know darn well you're not going to finish that whole plate. If I take one of your fries, you will survive, I promise. And I might even buy you dessert. What you have is not yours. It has been given to you by God. And I just, um, can we have just two more minutes, guys? Are we all right for another minute? In John 3, 27, it says that no one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. And Philippians 2, 13, it says in the Amplified, it's not your strength, but it is God working in you. God is working in you and strengthening and energizing and creating in you the longing and the ability to fulfill your purpose for his good pleasure. And then the, what we need to realize is that not only is it not us, 
but that we have this incredible power. We have, it's, it is absolutely unbelievable if we could, I don't, I'm tr- still trying to get this revelation myself, but a few days ago, the Lord woke me up with a song in my spirit. I was singing it in my spirit, and I love doing that. I already told you I'm a music guy. That's how the Lord speaks to me so many times through the lyrics and the songs, or even just through the, through the chords that are playing, moves my spirit. And the words are from a song by Jeremy Camp. And it says, it's the song is called The Same Power, right? And it says, the same power that rose Jesus from the grave, the same power that commands the dead to wake, lives in us, lives in us. The same power that moves mountains when he speaks, the same power that can calm a raging sea, lives in us, lives in us. He lives in us, lives in us. And those lyrics were just playing in my mind. And the Lord wants you to hear today, if we'll listen. I spent a whole month talking about our little and our lack to really get us to see this point. He's bringing us all the way to this Galatians 2.20 says that my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Ephesians 1.19 says that the incredible greatness of God's power is there for us who believe Him. It says that the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him at the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms is working in us. In Ephesians 3.20, it says, Now to God, who is able through his mighty power at work within us to accomplish, his power is working in us to accomplish infinitely more. Infinitely, never ending, never enough. There's just never enough that he can give you that'll be enough. He'll just keep giving. It's infinitely more than we might ask or think. And finally, the last point I want to leave you with is that you, when we come to this revelation, when we realize that it's God, when we realize that it's Christ, you have to come to this place. You have to do it. I don't know how to preach it, I could spend 45 minutes just saying, you got to do it. It's going to feel so unnatural at first to take a piece of bread that you know is not going to feed these 5,000 and to give it anyway. It's going to feel so unnatural at first to share the love of Christ with somebody. And only, not because it is unnatural, but because the world we live in is opposing you so much so that it makes you feel like this is an impossibility, that I can't even open my mouth, that the devil will try to keep you closed and keep you shut up. In fact, you know, before I even came up here this morning, I had a nerve in my hip. I couldn't even barely stand. I was just standing so that nobody would think anything if the pastor was sitting during worship. I stood anyway, and I swear uh, the devil will try to stop the word from coming, try, try to stop you from standing here and speaking. I walked up here, and I haven't it completely gone. I haven't thought about that one. I couldn't even stand. This morning, I was trying to put my shoe on, and I was whimpering like a little boy. I couldn't even stand. And the Lord, though, was, is with you when you just step out and you do it. You just got to do it. You just got to open your mouth. If it's called you to give something, you just give it. You don't question. You don't wonder. You don't worry. You do all that in your head and you do it anyway. You don't let those things stop you. You just have to do it. I don't know how else to preach that, but we just got to do it. And I was looking at the, uh, the fastest planes in the world today. 
The fastest, 1976, we have a record of an American plane called the SR-71, and it went 2,200 miles per hour. And then in 2015, uh, the, we started this program called the X program, the uh, X-series planes, and there was a plane that went 4,500 miles per hour. Uncre incredible power. I mean, incredible. That's, that's across our entire nation and all the way into Hawaii in an hour. Incredible power. And I was just meditating on this power that we have in Christ. The devil wants to make you think that you're nobody. He wants to make you think you're little and you're small. Because remember, this whole month of series is not that you are actually little. It's not that you are actually weak. It's not that you are actually nobody. It's that that's how the world looks at you. But meanwhile, you are an SR-71. You are an X-15. You are incredibly filled with enormous power. The devil wants to keep you on the ground. But here's the key. Until you let the Spirit of God, until you turn that thing on, until you let that jet fuel, I mean, there's different, actually this advanced one's running all kinds of stuff, hydrogen peroxide and moving the air and creating speed with all kinds of advanced science that I don't understand. But until you let the power out of you, honestly, it's no different than a pile of rocks. That jet, as amazing as it is, as incredible as it's been built, as the millions upon millions, 250 million, I think, was put into that X-15 alone, and as amazing as all of that is, it is nothing until it's used. It's pointless. It's just nuts and bolts. It means nothing. And the reality is, is that that's who we are. We are an incredible force of power in this world. We are the outlet. It is us that God will use. He will use us. But unless we let him do it, nothing is going to happen. Let's close it in prayer. Thank you. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Lord, you just seal up any of the words, Lord, that... That you had, you have already sunk into hearts today, Lord. Just seal them in their hearts right now, Lord. The the word for them, Lord, it may have just been one word from this sermon. I pray that it would lock in and get down deep within them, Lord. Begin to change the way they think, Lord. Begin to look at you differently and see that there is a God, and I believe His name is Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you are God, that you have made a way for us. I pray that the words, the boldness, the fire would begin to grow and stir in us and it would start coming out of us, Lord, that we would, that we would be willing to be used by you in Jesus' name. Amen.